when I was a kid, a little boy watching Jason and the Argonauts, that great Ray Harryhausen animation with my uncles. Every time it would come on, it would it was a family feast because, you know, it was about our history. And there was the Hydra. And the thing is, when Hercules or Jason and the Argonauts would fight the Hydra, when the heroes would take the Hydra's head, an amazing thing happened. Two heads would sprout up in its place. Okay, so we're done with the election, the midterm elections, and guess what? More elections sprout up from that stump. We've got Warnock and Herschel Walker. We have DeSantis and Trump. We have 11 candidates running for Chicago mayor, if you include Chewy Garcia. And hey, Chewy, where are you getting that money? Where are you getting that money? We're talking about it today. How's that money, man? Does it smell like Pritzker's aftershave or somewhere else? 11 candidates. Mayor Lightfoot is freaking out, but of course she would freak out. She's been out of her depth from the beginning. And we'll have Tom Serafin of Serafin and Associates here to talk about it with us. He's also runs a wonderful podcast I recommend called Crisis Cast. And he's the guy who got me involved. He got me set up to do johncastnews.com. When I was at my lowest point, when I was about ready to give up, he didn't let me give up. He said, fight. That's what friends do. And he's a friend. So we'll see about that Hydra. And another thing about how they used to be, how the elections used to be, back in the day, I'd write three columns on election night, win, lose, or draw. And my leg men thought I was nuts. Slim the leg man, Matt the Swede, Tommy the Polish Spartacus, old school Will Lee, Shooter, Angie, and Mrs. Flynn. And on and on. They thought we're, I was nuts to write three. Just write one, they said. But, you know, I couldn't. I had to write three. Win, lose, or draw. That way, when I press the button. There would be enough time to get it in the paper, fresh for you. The editorial board did the same. John McCormick, Kristen McQuarrie, Bruce Dole, they did the same. How many editorials did Bruce, Pulitzer Prize winner and great editorial writer, uh, write uh, about presidents who never became presidents? (laughs) I always wanted to read the one that he had... John McCormick put together on Hillary Clinton, <laughs> you know, President Hillary Clinton. But I didn't, I didn't see it just like they didn't see, they didn't see the ones that I did on President Hillary Clinton. <laughs> and where are you with the Hydra out there in the darkness? And you need your, you need a cousin to put a lighted torch. On that stump as you cut off the Hydra head and and Ray Herrenhausen music is playing, it's usually some sort of fierce oboe or low, or low bassoon of some kind. Sort of ma- ma- malevolent and spidery. Where are you with all this? And the elections continue? 
and the screaming continues and the confusion continues and you don't know where to turn you're on the Chicago Way podcast in the No Chumbalone Zone with John Cass Jeff Carlin and today Tom Serafin on WGN Plus The, the Chicago Way is a deep cultural phenomenon. It's the Chicago Way. The Chicago Way. That's the focus. In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand with pen and paper in his hand, defeating foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso in a tower by the river, Castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. Well, as I promised, Tom Serafin is here and Jeff Carlin is here. And I just have to say one thing. I, I told that story about all my leg men not wanting me to write three columns every election night, which I always did, win, lose, or draw. But I forgot to mention one, Wings, Wings Meisner, uh, <laughs> Jason Meisner. Sorry, Jason. I, I don't know if he could probably give two figs like, please, <laughs> right. why did you mention me? I wanted <laughs> people to forget that I worked for you. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I guess I was nuts. Yeah, John uh, and Tom, welcome. So great to have you here, sir. It's a it's an honor to, to talk to somebody who's got just the endless depth of information and knowledge about elections in front and behind. And it's just good to have you here, sir. How are you today? Okay, uh, not too bad. Not too bad. It's good to be with you this morning. So good to be with you, Tom. You're the reason why I started that website, JohnCastNews.com, and I say it like that in the Tom Surfing voice. <laughs> so I want to thank you for that. But uh, okay, so what did you make of the elections? You know, when the elections uh, happen, you, you you think you cut off one head and then two more sprout on the stump. So what do you make of it? What do you make of what's happening? You know, I I probably say that the Republicans are not as popular as they thought they were, <laughs> and the Democrats are not as unpopular as they thought they were, you know, as they went, both, both groups went into this uh, election cycle uh, thinking the worst right. with regard to the, the Democrats were going to lose so many seats and the Republicans win so many seats. Right. Right. Yes, they were worried. And, and the Republicans were concerned about how are they going to manage government today? And they were putting out the <laughs> commitment to America and everything else. Uh, and they, uh, they both won and they both lost. Which is an unusual, uh, you know, midterm, uh, especially for the uh, first-term president. So I, I think the House obviously is, is going to go Democrat. Uh, you know, with the help of New York, of all places, you know, at least four open seats. Uh, I mean, four seats, congressional seats. There one Democrat, and Sean Maloney, the uh, the head of the DCCC, the first chairman of the DCCC in more than three decades to lose. I mean, that was an extraordinary loss that the, the chairman of the Congressional Campaign Committee for the Democrats, who steered all the money and steered all the campaigns in the House of Representatives, lost the seat himself, which Tom was Serafin. the seat that he, that he cut. Tom Serafin, I, I need to ask you a question about that um, Maloney uh, loss. 
at the political funeral, will they be serving Chef Boyardee at the <laughs> funeral dinner? Chef Boyardee. No, I, I can't. I don't have no place to go with that one. Well, uh, didn't he, he's the one who said. He brought, yes. he brought Chef Boyardee into the equation. Like, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody likes you know, Chef Boyardee. If you're Italian, <laughs> you hate it. And if, mm-hmm. if you're not Italian and you ate it, then you must hate Italian food because you think that's what Italian food is. I mean, I, I, I have a fond memory of it, John, only because well, I was like a latchkey kid. And it was, you know, the easiest thing to feed yourself with. But you're absolutely right. <laughs> My mom said if, you, if we went to the Americani houses for lunch, They'll give you Chef Blair D, and you'll be sick. <laughs> you'll be sick. Your mother never said that. <laughs> she said it kind of like that, like, yeah. This is a Chef Blair D. <laughs> like, okay, all right, Bob. Yeah. Just, anyway, an, sorry, just, sorry. An, just no, and just an interesting twist on that is that uh, Sherry Bustis, the congresswoman from the Rock Island, yeah. Peoria, uh, Rockford area, uh, retired. After her stint at the uh, Congressional Committee as the chairman of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. So you have the, the last two cycles, the last four years of the DCCC chairmanships that have, you know, the chairmen have gone, you know, gone away from the Congress and left Congress. One retired and the other one was beaten. I mean, so the progressives in the Congressional Caucus, just like the conservatives, the hard, hard conservatives in the Republican Caucus, make both caucuses difficult to manage. And you can see that around the country. Ohio had a good yeah. night for Republicans. Uh, you know, uh, Florida had a good night for Republicans. Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, you know, he's he was blessed under, you know, the right sunlight, you know, when he, when he first got <laughs> elected in, in 2010. Yeah. He, he came in with the Tea Party in 16. He came in with Trump. And this time everybody said he was, he was you know, going to be, History and all of a sudden he comes back, you know. So I mean, but the Democrats, you know, that that wave that the Republicans anticipated and the pollsters anticipated wasn't as deep. And and what did they call somebody? A friend of mine called it a red ripple or something, right? (laughs) That was just (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Little red ripple, yeah. But I I I ate crow. (laughs) Give me a big plate of steaming crow because I ate it with plenty of salt and lemon, oregano, you know. But you got but everybody in the, when everybody in the, the business. Same. We all hate crow. I mean, we all. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, I looked at the good polls, the past bad polls. That look right. at Siena, the New York Times, I look at Trafalgar, and uh, all the good pollsters. You know, I'm anxious to see what Tom Bevan does in real clear politics. Yeah, because he's ranking the pollsters. But if you look at all the pollsters that have been ranked very, very, you know, consistently good at prognostications, yeah. they were wrong. I mean, everybody was in the margin of error. Yeah, uh, but you know what? Just more Democrats turned out than Republicans in some races. The Republicans turned out in, in large waves, except for downstate Illinois. But well, in other states, they turned out pretty well. They turned out in Arizona and Nevada, or mm-hmm. Nevada, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and we still have they still haven't counted the votes. You counted all millions of votes in Florida in yeah. one day. You can't count the votes in Arizona and Nevada. You know, what is going I on? Know that. That's a shame, especially because those states currently hold the balance. The election yes. outcome holds the balance right. of the United States Senate, a uh, body of 100 senators, a deliberative body where you get elected once every six years. They mm-hmm. hold the balance, and they're the ones that are not going to have the votes counted until the end of the week. And I, I, it just stuns me that it just leads to the 
the it just leads to the Anxiety. conversation what's going on and, and the conversation you know from both sides right uh, that this is what's going on here when you know it, back it, it leaves room back for there. a conspiracy i mean yeah we don't need that now <laughs> right we don't That's need that right. let's get we get can we get past that I, you know, but I don't think we will. I, and for not until it, it's, it's crazy because the, the argument only almost makes its case for being like, well, we should, you know, federalize elections. You no, know, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not making that argument, but my All point the Constitution. is Constitution. Right, yeah, right. Exactly. And, and if, you know, historically elections in this country have, ta- oh, have taken months. I mean, it's, it's the process of it's more important to get the votes than it is to get them timely. I propose, and this would be an absolute <laughs> insanity that we hold all election results until everything's in, and then we announce the winner. So if it's a week, two weeks, what could possibly go wrong? Jeff wants to go back to the days (laughs) when they counted all elections by candlelight. Exactly. In dark caves. You know, one one if by land, two if by sea? What are you talking about? (laughs) I just think... I'm, I'm not a hillbilly in some cabin in the in southern Illinois or Kentucky not knowing where I am, you know? I just think we, it's 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 like you know, we Lincoln. do wind ourselves up for this, and it makes it crazy if we get to t- this lag. But I don't think it's that big a deal, personally. I think we just you know, just, just just relax. Yeah. You know, it's okay. We'll figure this out. Tom, you decide. What do you want? It'll and it'll be done. You know, my, you know, the, the problem in Arizona yeah. is that the Secretary of State who oversees. <laughs> Yeah. Not the results, but oversees the process and set the process in place is a candidate that's currently yeah. in a in a statistically tied race waiting for the outcome of more votes being counted and gathered, even though the printing machines went down for three hours during the day for the for the uh, for the ballots. And so you have to really set yourself, you know, apart a if you're going to be part of the election process, yeah. you can't also be part of the. Uh, the engineering process of how you put that system together. And my concern is that it continues to lead credibility to the deniers. And, and you know, mm-hmm. we need to heal. We don't need yes. to, we don't need to separate. We need to heal this country. And unfortunately Absolutely. we're going to, this is going to play out on the center stage for the next few weeks. Who is it? Who is it? Just like Georgia. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, think about the money that's going to be spent in Georgia on the runoff between Warnock and Herschel Walker. Um, yeah. You need 50 plus one you know, to win there. The money is extraordinary that's going to be spent there between now and December 9th when the next election is. And, and the, the balance may be, may, be, may be as a result of what that outcome is. And the vulgarity of the, of the appeals on both sides. Oh, man. Be, it's not good, for the, not good for the republic, I'd say. That's why I think we have to, I mean, and, and I don't want to see any violence. But no. the longer this stuff goes on, where it's not, you know, one day and it's done. I mean, well, you know, I, I have a lot of confidence there won't be, uh, uh, there won't be violence. But, you know, the problem with the runoff is that it's another month. I, right. I do a runoff in ten days to two weeks. I mean, everybody has seen the campaign. Let's do it yeah, one right. more time. Yeah, exactly. Come back. You should have a, a, a setup date. Next Tuesday is going to be our runoff day. And if we don't figure it out today, yeah. and then that's it. But Tom, speaking to the idea of like healing us, and John, you too, the, the idea of, of healing the, the nation. I you, I feel like it almost is it's a positive to take away from the from the elections is that it, it, it people turn their backs to to the fringes on both sides and said hey there's no you get these way too crazy for politics you I'm not voting for you even if it's not my party or whatever on both sides I 
feel like there was a little bit of a, a pendulum swing back the other way to, to a normalcy of voting because a lot of the candidates that won were more moderate in a lot of places. It, not obviously the the bright blue areas that are are, are not uh, touchable by reds, but and vice versa. But I feel, and of course, feelings are useless if they don't have facts to back them up. But I feel like we 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 are moved in a good direction, a first step, if you will, from 2016 and 2020. Um, towards a, hopefully a center less, more cordial, less uh, you know, accelerating the crazies. What do you think, Tom? I I, I think you're probably uh, you've got a real good point there, and there are some pockets. I, there are more pockets in the country like that. You know, for example, in Arizona with Carrie Lake, who's running for uh, governor, she was one of those candidates that uh, supported Trump. Trump supported her, and the Democrats actually funded some of. Uh, races against her so that she could be the candidate thinking right. she'd be a, an easy pick in November. You know, she, she, she down the stretch, you know, she kind of, she got a little bit too full of herself and started, mm-hmm. you know, going over the top a little bit. I mean, I think that what happened in the, in the election that the Republicans kind of peaked about 10, 12 days early and uh, the Democrats mm-hmm. came in strong down the last stretch with uh, those, those really kind of cool jazzy type uh Mm-hmm. Uh, commercials with Barack Obama is telling people to vote, not to vote for you, this guy or that guy, but he's just telling people to go out and vote. And everybody knew who he was talking about and why he was talking about it. And then that the, the 30 millions of dollars that they threw towards the, the, the abortion <laughs> okay. issue. I mean, it was the money was huge there. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the women made a big difference in, especially the suburban women. I mean, if you take a look what happened to Sean Casper in Chicago and in the, in the, in the suburbs, the congressman, you know, was losing early on when the re- results were coming in from Chicago. Uh, the Republicans in Chicago were actually voting against him. And DuPage County uh, came in later in the evening with all the Democratic votes. DuPage, always historically Republican, now solidly a Democratic county, came in and saved Sean Caston, which was, you know, that's a paradigm that has completely changed in my yeah. life. It's just completely, completely upside down. But <laughs> the, the world is that way now. And young people are, are very much involved in, you know, I, I like the attitude the young people have being involved in the politics. Uh, but, you know, on the Republican side, there's certainly a, a difference in numbers there uh, in enthusiasm. I mean, the Republicans have to figure out who they are and, and what kind of party they're going to be. The Democrats pretty much know who they are, what they're going to be, and what they are, what they want to be. Um, but the, the Republicans on our, you know, McCarthy, the leader in the House and the McConnell, the leader in the Senate. I oh. think are antiqu- are antiquated and, and yeah. should go, but but you know they're going to do what they're going to do. You know, sure, so sure. here's a question: they should, they should take some lessons from this race. Here's a question for both of you, and I, I would I would I would just offer that I would like uh, DuPage County to be uh, driven into the lake of Lake Michigan somewhere and just left left alone because. <laughs> Really, I mean that that idea of having the sort of Marie Newman, Sean Caston types, you know, the the females of the female lawyers of DuPage County driving uh, driving Illinois politics. Well, I guess that's that's what you want. That's what you get. But here's another actually, thing. actually, you know, between those two candidates, like yeah. uh, having lived out there for, ah. for some time in the Cook County suburbs, yeah, you know, too. I got it. Yeah, <laughs> Sean Caston is a you know a, you know a decent congressional representative for the people in that part of the world. I mean, he's responsive. He, constituent services, I think, are always key. 
you know, yeah. you may not be able to create a new world, you know, in Washington, D.C., but you, you can take care of your district. You can't take care of your folks. He's got a new district now, and, and you know, he did well in the old district. We'll see. Marie Newman, you know, I didn't understand some of her votes yeah. voting against the Iron Dome, which was a defensive weapon for Israel yeah. and issues like that. She 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 was she was very progressive and very uh, she worked hard for her constituents, but she made some votes that were just unexplainable. Uh, right. You know, you just couldn't explain the, the votes. Yeah. I mean, against her own interest. I mean, you just didn't make sense. And it was almost as she was. Uh, yeah, and you couldn't figure out what she was doing, but I think it's a good which is the reason she lost the primary. Yeah, oh yeah, and I mean, you you could. Yeah, I don't want to dig on her too much, but I, I do want to you know kind of pivot off the national and John. I, I I don't know. I mean, DuPage has been such a weird place politically for a while, like at least you know last late recent it's, while. I've never liked it. it, it I I kind of like some of the Italian restaurants there. <laughs> Tom and I, Tom and I uh, know the area pretty well, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm not too crazy about the politics. But you know what? It started with uh, Dan Cronin. I remember Dan Cronin was the chairman of the DuPage County Board, mm-hmm. and and uh, a little. I'm at the, in the at my desk in the city hall press room, and a little guy knocks on the door. We had just had a big fight out of the press room, you know, in the mayor's press room, and he says, "Hey, John." I turn around and I'm like, what, Rich? <laughs> and he's like, what are you doing? And I said, uh, I'm trying to finish a story. He said, when, when you're done, come downstairs outside in the front of City Hall. Let's go out to, let's go out to Elmhurst. Or I, it was DuPage he wanted to go out to. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, a, I think, the Drury Lane and a dinner for, <laughs> uh, for Cronin. And I'm like, okay, what? You know, Whoa. okay. Okay, mayor. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like I'll, I'll I'll party, you know. And we were out there, and uh, I never understood that whole DuPage thing—the white shoe Republicans, the Combine Democrats. It's a very interesting place, but uh, yeah, well, it started with Phil Rock. Remember Phil yeah, Rock? The, yeah, yeah. He was a, gr- a great senator. Uh, did a hell of a job as the Senate yeah. president. Always compromised, you know, with Pay Phillips and others. Got things done in the Senate. He was a Chicago Democrat, and when he moved out to Oak Park, you know, a lot of guys saw, what's he doing moving to Oak Park? Well, he was colonizing Oak Park, uh, just like the Democrats had been colonizing the, the north side. The south side came up to the, the west side, and they moved out and, and moved to DuPage. And, they, you know, their, their plan to colonize the, the rest of the metropolitan Cook County area, you know, is, is working. And that was part of, you know, the Cronin family is a large family, well liked. Well, I think originally Democrats at one time. And, yeah, and they were well, very well liked. That's yeah. why. That's why Daly was hanging out with them. Right, they're, they're city <laughs> and, guys and, from from. Uh, and and they're and they're moderate. They're Democrats. They're not all to the left, and they're not to, to the right. They're, they're, you know, they're nice people. You know, in 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 that race for uh, for DuPage County, you know, uh, boss out there. You know, yeah. Conroy won by five thousand votes. So. You have, you know, 320,000 votes, 325,000 votes cast. And she wins yeah. by 5,000, 5,000 over, uh, I think the gentleman was Greg Hart, a good guy, you know, has been around for a while, works hard. But uh, the Democrats were able to pull that out. That's a huge victory uh, for the for the Democrats and Deb Conroy, because Greg Hart, uh, I thought, probably outworked every candidate in, in the state. He was working 24-7. 
I was impressed with his ability and his, his work ethic. Uh, obviously, he's going to be around for a long time, going to do big things. But uh, Deb Conroy and the Democrats were able to win that by 5,000 votes. That was yep. a big victory That's for them. impressive. Well, uh, speaking <laughs> of state issues, Tom, what, do you, what, did you, what is your takeaway from the election here locally in, in Illinois? I thought the governor, you know, uh, if you take a look at all the outcomes, and I'm still looking at the numbers, obviously, it's going to be a while before we uh, sure. see all of them. Uh, but, you know, Susanna Mendoza, <laughs> I think she did 57%. Every other yeah. statewide officer, including the governor, did 54%. You know, and, and mm-hmm. the governor spent, you know, you know, we had the richest and the most expensive Republican, I mean, and Democratic uh, governor's race in the country, actually. Over two hundred million dollars is spent, and the, the governor did a heck of a job by by deciding early to spend thirty five million dollars on Darren Bailey's effort to get Darren Bailey elected rather than Irving. Uh, it was a smart choice, you know. Uh, Unethical, you know, and, in my opinion, but go on. Uh, well, smart, you, you, it's smart politics. This is not about like or yeah. not like. We're just talking. Yeah, about it, it, I know. Well, you know, you know what Jeff makes a good point. A lot of people, you know, are, are aghast by it. But you know, frankly speaking, I was involved with a, a lot of elections in my time, and in the mid '80s, I remember you know working for a very popular, you know, elected public official who had won many, many, many elections. And we were in Washington D.C. at the time, and I was on the staff as the press secretary. And he told me, he said, "Come to my office." And he said, I'm so shocked, Tommy. I'm so shocked. But my good friend, Bob Dole, who was, you know, running the, the Republicans at the time, <laughs> mm-hmm. the Senate, my good friend, Bob Dole, is asking Don Rumsfeld, Bill Farley, you know, George Rainey, all these people to run against me. My good friend, Tom, you know why I've been elected for so many years? I said, well, obviously, sir, you're the smartest guy. You're good in issues. You know, you're attractive, blah, blah, blah. He said, Tom, I appreciate the compliments, but you're dead wrong. I got elected because I had the right opponent. Now you're going to go home back to Illinois and you're going to make sure I get the right opponent. Yeah. All right. That's been going on for yeah. 100 years. In Chicago. Yeah. yeah. That's Ellen Dixon. Know, you, yeah. 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 That's the 11th Ward. I mean, I mean, the 13th, uh, you know, the Dick Bell, all those guys. That, yeah. That, uh, that's how they stayed in office for all those years. They had the right opponent. I mean, they campaigned on issues and they did the right thing, but. They always make sure that the, the other party had the right opponent. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. bag. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm an I'm, I'm an idealist, I guess. No, we well, love Judy, you. We love you, Jeff. Yeah. You know, come yeah. on. You know, but and, and so Jeff, you know, the the, the primary came around. Judy yeah. Kelly won the primary, and, uh, and my uh, my elected uh, friend, you know, won 102 counties. Last time that's been done in Illinois. <laughs> so, well, so it works. <laughs> yeah, but the, what difference is is that mm. today, you know. If you have the resources necessary, you can only do this if you're Jay, if you're right. Pritzker. You could not do this as average Joe, John Doe. You can't mm-hmm. do it because you don't have the resources. He could right. do it and get away with it. I, I have, I have four, five, six billion dollars, and I'm going to spend <laughs> yeah. only like thirty, which is right. tip money to make right. sure that I don't have a headache in November. Yeah. Smart guy, smart guy. He's smart, and he's got an Cabrera who's who uh, who knows how to. How to uh, use a sharp knife, and uh, <laughs> th- you know their their attention has always been on you know play on a national stage, a pure right. national, yeah. and you know he doesn't have to run for anything. He's not going to run for president. He's not going to run for anything. He's just going to put himself out there and be at every fish fry from right. New York to California. And, every you know, every pancake breakfast, have to pick somebody. You know, every pancake right. breakfast he can visit. He'll be right. Uh, he's appointing or p- setting himself up to be the you know the kingmaker and probably the next presidential or even beyond that. Right. I mean that's the idea is that 
established himself. Everyone knows him, trusts him. I don't believe that the president can run again in another term. And I, I'm not inside. I, you know, nobody's talked yeah. to me about it. But just as a student of human, mm-hmm. uh, of human beings, I understand that the, the struggles he has as a human. I have, I have a lot of experience in some of those arenas, unfortunately. <laughs> and there's no way that he's going to be able to, you know, campaign successfully as the presidential candidate for the Democratic Party in 2024. So you're going to have another candidate. So nobody knows who that is. Now, if you mm-hmm. work in the White House right now. And, uh, and and you're you're working for Joe Biden. There's no way in the world that you're going to acknowledge to anyone, not even your wife, that this person <laughs> may or may not be able to be on the ticket. Because right now you have all the power in the world. Right. Even staff people get the Pope to return their phone calls. Not they don't want to give that. They don't want to give that power up. They're going to hold on to it the last minute and try to engineer their own successor into that position to be the candidate. The mm-hmm. Red Ripple made sure that right. Joe Biden would be seeking a uh, second term, even if many of his aides didn't want him to run. They won't be able to stop him. I think I'm with, I'm with Tom on this one. I don't think he does it. I, in too many interviews he was doing leading up to the election, and people always ask him, you know, are you wanting to ask him if he's going to run? He tells the story about not wanting to run the run and how his kids made him and, you know, the soul of the nation and all that stuff. Uh, and I think so after the right, I know right. After, but I think after this ripple, he can hang his hat on saying, "Look, I've pushed the you know I've pushed the soul of the nation in the right direction. Here's someone else to pick it up because I'm way too old." And I think that's what he's going to hang his hat on. I think the ripple gives him that out to be like, "Hey, look, I delivered I uh, a great election by all means for a, a you know, such a narrow margin of win in his election. I lost the Congress. I lost well, the Senate. Right, but, I lost it, the Congress. Yeah. I have." 50 years high of inflation, but <laughs> I've done a great job. So, well, I know, no, no, no. yeah. Well, pe- people today are, are I think, uh, the parties are, you know, in the old days, there were a lot of straight ticket uh, voting. You know, you, yeah. you go in, and you punch D, and everybody on the ballot is a D. Okay. It's got your vote. Today, people are going back to that, not because of the way um, in Chicago and Cook County politics, where I was raised on, on the game. Uh, played it, but it's because of what's at stake now based on, you know, the polarization of the country. So, yeah. you know, you got Featherman, uh, despite that, you know, sad performance at the debate and his unfortunate stroke, which is, you know, Mark, Mark Kirk was a U.S. Senator in yeah. Illinois yeah. who's got a terrific personality. He went through the same thing and he suffered uh, and yeah. the rehab was so difficult. I felt I cringed for Featherman, but at the same time, I understood why the Democrats still needed to vote for him in, in large numbers, even though they understand the struggles he's going to have in, in this most deliberative August yeah. body of the United States Senate. So the same thing with Joe Biden. He's going to have to get on public stage and the world. It's a different game being in the Senate and being the world leader. He's yeah. going to have to explain on the world stage two years from today. You know what he's doing and why he's doing it. He's going to have to be cognitively one thousand percent. And we, as a country and as leaders and Democrats and Republicans, you can't afford to put our country in that kind of position. And there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, he's he's entitled to his senior moments. He's entitled to all that. He's eighty, for God's sakes. Yeah. So the fear I have is that people are going to say we have to vote for him because he's a Democrat and not because he's the best candidate. And yeah. to me, you need, a, you know, that Democratic primary process, mm-hmm. you know, to get the best candidate for the Democrats. 
And I think that's healthy and it's necessary and it's got to happen. It's got to happen. They have to have a primary process where they, where they select their best candidate for the good of this country. I wish politics were like that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Love love you both on that. (laughs) But I have to, I have to ask, uh, I have, you know, the greater good is always something that I've been interested in. Now, what about the other side? Okay. We've got, we've got, Donald Trump, and I wrote about it post in the post-election column that mm-hmm. uh, the one that I actually filed, not the one that I was I wrote and, while I was drinking, and I should never have done that, and it didn't make it. It, didn't, <laughs> it was in, inadvertently killed by. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what is there more to that story, John? You want to yeah, share the, the class? Uh, okay, I used to write three a week, you know, three on election night. Tom knows it. I can't, uh, you know, we had to go to lunch early at Gina Giorgetti because I couldn't <laughs> wait. I couldn't wait. Uh, you know, I had to have three columns ready, one win, lose, or draw. And then uh, this year, I decided, you know, bleep it. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to follow the lead of what my colleagues t- tell me, not to ri- write uh, that. Right. And uh, so I, I was, you know, jalapeno olives, uh, <laughs> blue cheese olives, or garlic and habanero we're good and the anchovy <laughs> were good you know i was have basically drinking a salad and writing watching uh you know the pundit class yeah. you know talk talk about how great fetterman was and how <laughs> he should run for president, president. all that nonsense and uh, so i woke up the next morning thinking where's the column you know went to my website johncastnews.com and thought Where's my column? And I, I look, I couldn't find it. I'm like, what the hell? And I found out, I realized that I had not set the time properly. So <laughs> AM, PM? Oh, no. Yeah, so God saved me from my <laughs> stupid self. And uh, But that gave me a chance to reconsider, you know, rewrite uh, that whole business of, you know, Jing, Jiaoping and uh, right, Xi Jinping and uh, and uh, Biden and raising okay. the toast to each other. <laughs> <laughs> and I distracted you from your comments on, on the idea. Of yeah, but the idea was, the idea is that Trump is making commentary like threatening to expose some sin of Ron DeSantis, mm-hmm. personal sin. Right. And I find that to be, I, I'm sorry, that's not the way to go about it. That's that's a way to tell people that you're afraid and that mm. that's not a leadership thing. You know, it does, it's not a quality of leader to do, yeah. to be seen that way. Not that they don't threaten each other behind the scenes, right? but, but you don't do that publicly. That's Trump's MO through and through throughout his entire life. You know, he's always been that guy. Yes. Uh, but, uh, but people can't but fix that. <laughs> we combine that with the, poor performance in the red ripple when all the yeah. issues were propelling the Republicans to a tremendous victory. And then it didn't happen. And you've got people thinking, well, maybe Trump has stayed as stout state is welcome, or maybe he's jumped the shark. What do you guys think of that? Well, I think uh, he, uh, he's overstayed as welcome for, for the Republican party. Uh-huh. But they have to find an identification. And right now, if you're, you're either mega or you're not mega in, in the Republican Party, that, that definition will take them to defeat, you know, almost every election cycle. 
they have to have an identification. They don't have that right now. You know, especially here in Illinois. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the stars in the Democratic Party right now. You take a look at who run, who ran one of the better campaigns. I thought Alexei Giannoulis ran one of the better primaries I've seen in a long time to win oh. that primary and then to emerge mm-hmm. statewide uh, as one of the leading uh, lights in the Democratic Party in Illinois. Susanna Mendoza, though, is the number one vote getter. I mean, she took more of a percentage than anybody else, including the governor. I mean, those two are going to duke it out for the, the to be the successor of Pritzker. That race started on election you night. You think Chewy <laughs> likes that? I, you know, I, I'm not sure. You know, I hear that uh, that there's a lot of people wanting to weigh in on the governor on the mayor's race. And Chewy getting in, you know, to the mayor's race. Uh, you're talking about a poll that he has that yeah. he can beat Lori Lightfoot in in the runoff, huh. which takes place after February. <laughs> right? Who can't? My well, kid, my 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 kid, the kid down the street in in Northwest Indiana can beat her. You know. Yeah, and the other I mean, question, yeah, other uh, when you talk to your political friends, the other question to ask is, what if she isn't? What does? What if she doesn't right. get to the runoff? So ah. Chewy can beat somebody that doesn't get to the runoff. Uh, well, I'm Willie thinking, Wilson, first of Willie all, Wilson doesn't think she gets the runoff. You know, Willie uh, thinks he can win, you know, on February 28th. <laughs> and I think if the election were held today, Willie Wilson would be in the runoff with probably yeah. Lori or maybe somebody else. But so Chewy's, first thing first. Chewy's going to have to run a campaign, and that campaign's going to have to go deep on solutions and, and dealing with the crime issue and his progressive voting record in the United States Congress. He also, yeah. I think, voted against the Iron Dome, which Marine Newman did. I, I don't understand that vote, but he, he's going to have to, he's got more of a record to defend uh, on different issues. It's going to be a little bit more difficult for him, but so he certainly has a constituency. So right now, Chewy's having uh, petitioners, uh, petition circulators at polling yeah. places and all mm-hmm. that. Where did that money come from? Is that Pritzker? Does it smell like Pritzker aftershave? Where did that money <laughs> come from? Well, you know, I, I I was out at some of the spots on election night. You know, people yeah. were talking about you know is the governor going to get involved in the in the mayor's race? Is he? Is Citadel? <laughs> He's is already Citadel, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Griffin going to get involved in, in the mayor's race? You know, rumors are that they were Griffin was looking uh, favorably at Tom Tunney, and the governor was yeah. looking favorably at uh, Chewy Gracie. Yeah. Uh, who knows? If it, it, the worst thing you ever can do if you're a politician, an elected politician. Is get involved in a family squabble. Why would you get involved in a primary battle uh, with the size of this one? You're going to have maybe 18 folks getting in that race. Right. You know, from every 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 corner of every member of every Democratic Party. Why would you want to pick one of them and make enemies of the other 17? Uh, I want to. I got something to scare you with. Here's something that'll chill your bones in this whole campaign for mayor. Think of I want you to think of one of those Ray Harryhausen claymation creatures, <laughs> yeah. and they all got the head of Tony Preckwinkle, okay? <laughs> because Tom Serafin, or I think it was Tom Serafin, maybe it wasn't, but I maybe and if I, I if it wasn't, please correct me if I've misspoken. Made it made it quite clear that whoever runs for mayor. This after she lost to uh, Lori Lightfoot would have to deal with or curry favor with Tony Preckwinkle because she's got the union support, the CTU, the SEIU, and there's no or 
democratic organizations left and with so many candidates. Yeah. She's, uh, she's chairman of the Cook County party. And of the four of the four legs of uh, the criminal justice system, she controls the budget for the sheriff's office. She controls the judge's budget and she controls uh, Kim Fox's office, the state's attorney's office. Yes. Lori, Lori life the Chicago mayor has the police department and that's it. They don't uh, have they, her jurisdiction. <laughs> You know, but she doesn't have I mean, yeah. it because they don't have well, it. We're, we're controlling the budget process. Right, you know? right. Yeah. So uh, Chairman Preckwick of the Democratic Party in Cook County, major, major player in right. in who and how this race is going to evolve uh, over the next three months. You know, you have to have petitions in by the end of November, November 28th. And so everybody will know on the 29th who is running. They won't know who's on the ballot until everybody challenges each other to, for legal and, uh, and unverified signatures, et cetera. That process takes a few weeks. But uh, you have a pretty good idea, you know, uh, before Christmas, who's going to be on the ballot. Then the campaign kicks off January 1st, just in time for the Safety Act to take effect. Well, there you go. That's the <laughs> issue now. Yeah. Crime, Crime is going to be issue. the only issue. Right. Crime, Crime is the number is the one issue. issue. In Illinois, in uh, Chicago, you had all that buildup with the crime issue. Pritzker bought himself out of it with, you know, he's weaseled out because he's got billions of dollars to protect himself and buy buy the media. And I think that's what he did. But but now you have crime coming. Now, Mm -hmm. you have Paul Vallis, the only candidate that I can see, who says you've got to ice in order to deal with crime in order to protect Chicago, you have to isolate, which would be a Herculean task, isolate, uh, Kim Fox who may not even run again. And Tony Preckwinkle, her pet uh, pre- patroness mm-hmm. from the discussion. And you got Tim Evans in there who, uh, Tony brought over and protected and he didn't, and he, and he was retained chief judge. I think Tony Preckwinkle won. I mean, in terms of the Chicago mayoral campaign, she's right up there, and she's got the power. You think she would run? No, no. She's she's the she's the she's inside the, inside she's the force. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, I, I mean, I assume Brandon Johnson's her chosen candidate already, only because of his CTU connection and and the tight tightness of that group with. Uh, Cook County Democrats, um, but like you said, it's stupid early before really to really even narrow that down. And he can pull out. I mean, who knows? But Je- but Jeff Tom brings up another point. Mm-hmm. This this we've got everybody looks. I mean, those of us who care about crime and crime policy read CWB, yeah. right? And sooner or later in this election, you're going to have somebody who is killed by someone who was on bail or released on electronic monitoring. That's the thing I started going after years ago, which put me at odds with George Soros, which put me at odds with the tribune. I don't care. The people have to know, but um, it's going to happen to someone else, not cancel culture. They're going to be, their lives will be canceled. They'll be shot. They'll be damaged physically. That's oh, my that biggest could've... fear. That's my biggest fear in the month of January when winter hits hard uh, and guys are released and, you know, they don't have a place uh, for shelter and uh, they don't have resources and money. 
and they're going to be on the streets and they're going to be looking for food and, you know, cash resources, et cetera. And, you know, you put people in difficult positions where, where they have nothing, they're going to look for something from something. And so, you know, whether it's a student riding the CTA red line at midnight, coming home from whatever activity uh, and grabbing their backpack and getting into the fight and getting, you know, slashed mm-hmm. with a knife and bleeding out, you're going to have, unfortunately, there's going to be some crisis in January and early February. It's going to become uh, the story in the campaign. And we're going to have more pain, more agony for the victims. And the politicians are going to argue about it when they should now be trying to prevent it in the veto session and trying to redo that bill so that that bill has all the right intentions. But there's so many things that need to be cleaned up in it. They're not they're not addressing that issue. And they should. You know, one of the architects is Cam Butner, who's a nice young man, um, the state rep and head of the Black mm-hmm. Caucus in Springfield. Uh, he's a candidate for mayor. I mean, there are people, uh, yeah. there, were, there was a forum the other night where those issues came up. They have to pay attention to it and they have to put forth some proposals to clean it up. And the governor uh, should take the lead on that. And, you know, he, he got asked a lot in, in, during the campaign about that particular oh, piece of legislation. Yeah. The media he should take the lead on that. that. Yeah. Right, but he's, Come on. But he's, he's, he's not in, in an election right now. He can take the lead and not worry about the outcome as much as the outcome of what's good for the people of Illinois. He could, he could, if he, he could help use it to help shape the outcome for the people in his state. Yeah. That's, that's what I, yes, I agree. And I, I mean, I think that shows to to your point, Tom, that, that, I mean, in my opinion, he's, I I don't think he's, he's much of a leader. I don't think he does leading it because the leader would be out and would be one who takes things on the chin and says, well, you know, it didn't work. We're going to fix it. But he's his first go to when someone criticizes him is either a insult the person who's asking the question because that question is stupid or that question is underrated or you know you'd ask better questions. All You're the a fear monger, right? Exactly. Or he, you know, he deflects and says, "Oh, my wife did it, or so and so did it, or one of my staff hey, my, members did it." But Jeff, my fourth job after my family moved to yeah. Illinois to get out of Milwaukee was uh, I was construction worker, bartender, yeah. and uh, truck driver, and then I became a journalist covering the Illinois <laughs> legislature. <laughs> And, you know, there was always tons of legislation that was passed. Is that when and you I'm, used to drink a Butch McGuire's? No, yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> yes, okay. right. So we, but there's always legislation that's passed that has to be mm-hmm. revisited yeah. and retooled because there was something here or something there that hadn't been anticipated. There are consequences that people hadn't seen before. So there's no, there's no, there's nothing negative about revisiting legislation. It's done all the time. Right. So revisiting the Safety Act is just updated and make it better. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Right. Leadership he's requires gonna, you to do that. Right. And he, but he's the one who says, well, that we say everyone media and people were saying, oh, it needs to be adjusted. And he he deflects saying that they're that it doesn't you're you're he completely undermines the argument that it needs to be adjusted and then takes an umbrage with uh, people saying that. And it's like, well, if you're the leader, you should be able to say, Well, that's interesting feedback. You know, we've definitely, it's a process. Let's look at it. Let's get together on this. But he doesn't. He attacks the person asking it or he attacks, you know, the people around him for not you know, making it. Yeah, I, 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 I attributed a lot of that to the campaign, you yeah. know, and not having to go back, you know, the old adage of the campaign. And, you know, if you're explaining, you're losing. Right. But now there, there are no consequences now yeah. uh, politically for him, except the good consequences of having everybody understand that he's taking a hard look at this thing. And, you know, on second thought, there are issues here we need to deal with. 
let's sit down and talk about it and put the legislative process, the deliberative process at work. I mean, right now, the Democrats gained four seats in Springfield. They have a veto-proof majority forever, 77 votes. Yeah. I mean, the 39 votes in the Senate is still a veto-proof majority for Don Harmon. So the three of them, Don Harmon, Chris Welch, the Speaker, and the Governor, sit down. They could put that together in a weekend yeah. and then talk to their staffs and, and talk to their membership and, and handle that in three days. That, that's, that's deliberative leadership. And you would help the Democrats in Chicago elect a leader that could lead this city and not have to stumble and fall down on and argue about it during so many difficult times in January and February. We're going to see it. We've seen it before. History is going to repeat itself. I, I hear you, Tom. I, uh, I still can't get over the fact that he uh, blamed his wife or that whole bathroom situation. You know, pull the toilets. That was so just... Just so yeah, untoward, and and the fact that that was his go-to, saying, "Oh yeah, it was, it, it's again the same process." You can criticize him on it, and he says, "Well, it wasn't you know it's, you're blowing it up. It's a you're a Dan Prof plant or whatever the hell he wants to say." And then ultimately, he winds up blaming his wife. I mean, that's the character of this guy, and he he exudes it every time he talks because he thinks he knows what's best for everyone. And instead of listening to what people want, and that's why we got this bill passed in the, in the eighth hour, you know, eleventh hour, and it was eight hundred pages, and nobody really got into it, and we're where we are. And I mean, I, you're you're right, Tom. I mean, I know the idea of an election changes how you're front facing to people, but I, everything I've seen from the guy, I just I, I don't think he's a leader, and I I think he obviously is because he's won a re-election and he's very powerful right now. But I just don't think he's an actual leader. I think he's a, a money bag that can hand out checks to anybody who wants one. So that's just me. Well, um, that money does give you the opportunity <laughs> yeah. to, to do anything you want, anytime you want to do it, anytime you feel like doing it, which is an extraordinary you know, situation. I've been involved in dozens dozens of campaigns where you know, we never had the money, never had the resources, and you had to accomplish you know, gargantuan tasks without it. And it took time and energy and people power uh, he can do that, you know, by writing the check, which is an extraordinary attitude about politics. So, but I do see some, I, I see political growth in his, in his personality and in, the, in his candidacies. Uh, and if he's going to have any kind of appetite to do something nationally, he's going to have to show some stuff. And now he's got the confidence, you know, after coming through this particular battle. And, and, you know, especially in light of what's going on with other mayors and governors around the country. And he's got a little bit of a record that he can start talking about. Uh, he's got a lot of work here to do at home, you know, with, with mm -hmm. the situation that unemployment and, you know, the problems with the VA and everything else. But the Safety Act is, from my vantage point, it's, you know, it's a fastball right down the middle. You hit that out of the ballpark. Right. The yeah, you're probably right. Tom, you know, we've taken a ton of your time. It's so great to get you on with us. And thanks. Really love your insight. And we got to hear some more stories about the uh, the time of your bartending. And you say truck driving? Is that what I heard? Right. <laughs> Let me tell you one story about driving sure. a truck. I'd done the race in 78, the U.S. Center race. And, you know, yeah, I had never anticipated. It was my first big race. And I never anticipated uh, that we were going to lose. You know, I was always, you know, very positive. You know, I was a young person at the time. And, um, you know, campaigns are just like running into a brick wall uh full speed and if you win the brick wall disappears at the last minute if you don't you just splatter i i splattered and i sent out 100 resumes i couldn't get a job anywhere 
and uh, I got a job driving a, a driving a truck, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, out of Peoria. I drove a truck out of Peoria, and uh, I went to Cleveland, you know, Chicago, Minnesota. One day trips where you go in early, load up at the dock, and bring that stuff back so you can get back to the dock in Peoria by five thirty. What helped unload? You got there after five thirty. You had to unload the truck yourself. And I'm I'm headed down fifty five with a load out of Chicago. We went to uh, Spiegel's Warehouse, you know, which is you know just off of the uh, Interstate 55 there at the Stevenson Expressway. And I got some closeouts and filled up the truck. And I'm driving down the truck. And Roland Burris, who had been elected controller, uh. was driving was driving down. And he was being driven in a black car. And I, he, passed, he passed me up. And I, I quickly caught up with him on the inside, in, on the right-hand lane. And I blew my whistle a few times. Mm-hmm. And he lowered his window. It was a power window. He lowered it halfway. And he looked out, and he looked at me, and I looked at him. Then he lowered it the rest of the way. He said, Tom! I said, hey, Roland, how you doing? <laughs> we were going 60 miles an hour down 55. And I was driving a truck, and he was headed to Springfield for his new job. Uh, and, uh, you know, just Roland a little story, Bruce. but I remember That's that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You know, he, he, had just, he, he, had, he had defeated Dick Luft, you know, for that job at the time. Yeah. I think Dan Walker was governor at the time. Wow. No, Dan, no, it was Jim Thompson. At the time. That was the story of life, right? I love it. Um, well, yeah. hey, Tom, one second here. I think we lost John knocked over his mic, and I think it got disconnected. So we might. I don't sound like okay, John was back there. Yeah. That's a, yeah, I'm back, and I didn't fall asleep. I love your stories. Uh, oh. Listen, uh, <laughs> you know they, they're just exciting, and uh, I do have uh, I do have sad news. For all Sox fans, and I got to mention it while Tom's here. Yeah. Oh. A sad, sad news, depressing news. A good man, uh, Chicago White Sox fans have lost a good man. Bob Vanderberg, writer for the Chicago Tribune for years, covered Sox for years, and uh, he passed away, 75 years old. Yeah. Parkinson's, unfortunately. Yeah, he's a poor guy. Yeah. You know, good. he was a hell of a writer. Hell of a writer. He I didn't good. know him. Yeah, but uh, you know, I didn't. I don't want to depress you because, well, he was a a good man. And uh, what would he have thought of Pedro, the new uh, manager? Do you think <laughs> he was the best Harry Carey impersonator that I that you'd see? I mean, <laughs> he was he was he would just say something. He was his humor was dry. It was remarkable, and his knowledge of the White Sox, mm-hmm. the history of the White Sox, the greatest players of the White Sox—not just you know Nelly Fox and Louis Aparicio, but just the history and the culture of it. And when when I when they were in there in, in that World Series run, he was a valuable resource for me. You know, I talked to him, and he'd say, "You know what? Just get every time." At the begin before every game, just get down there and stand by the dugout. Just be cool and listen to Ozzy Gian. Watch mm-hmm. Ozzy Gian take the pressure of what's happening to this team and take it on his shoulders. And I thought, oh man, this guy knows his, knows this game because that's man managing, not just you know playing computer games. And <laughs> uh, and he did take the pressure off and uh, Bob. Uh, his family, his wife, his son, they were friends of ours, and they lived out in the, they lived in LaGrange, and uh, 
that area for a quite quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And good Catholic, good Roman Catholic, and knew knew he was ill, and just kept fighting with the smile because, I mean, in death he, like the Pope, he made a profound profound lesson for all of us. And so I just wanted to say with the hip, with my friend Tom Serapin here, who exemplifies many of these values, and Jeff Carlin, just wanted to say tip of the hat to a great White Sox fan. Yes. May you rest Andy. in peace. Yeah. May you rest in peace, yeah. Andy. And as we as we leave, the guys, you know, we, we politics is, you know, terrific to watch and uh, be part of. But we're moving into the Thanksgiving season, you know, where we need to be grateful as you as you bring up his life. Uh, need to be grateful for our lives and our friends, and you know, and kind of put the swords down at the door and um, toast to each other's well-being and, and a little bit more love in the world. And uh, as we get close to Christmas, we should, you know, really, really understand the season of love and hope and, and live it. Yeah, there's far more that brings us together than separates us in this world, and we need to embrace that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, if we were at Gina Giorgetti and I, he would have said something so profound, and I would have looked, you know, looked at him, and then I would have just cut, sliced into my veal chop and said, <laughs> you know, that, this is a tasty piece of veal, you know, but. We're all, all right. better men because Tom Serafin reminds us, you know, put the hatchets down from time to time. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, it's Appreciate much better it. life when you can live in peace. You know, stay well, guys. Amen. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye. So for Tom Serafin, our good friend and founder of Serafin and Associates, and for Jeff Carlin, Master of cats, baker of pies, future physics teacher, and for me, John Cass, husband, father, editor-in-chief at johncassnews.com. The elections are over. New ones begin. Join us as we sort all this out on another edition of the Chicago Way podcast on WGN+. Chumbalone. 